0: Hello everyone, my name is Chris Charlton and welcome to episode 5 of the Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audio companion piece to Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, uh, a book that goes in-depth on every single pro wrestling event uh, that's ever happened inside the Tokyo Dome and is available wherever you get your books, electronically at least, um, in paperback, digital, and uh, soon, if not right now, uh, audiobook form. Um... Yes, but this podcast companion goes a little bit beyond the text as I'm welcomed by a different guest each episode uh, to cover the events of a certain year in detail. And uh, this episode, we're looking at 1993, and my guest um, is the man behind Shining Wizard Designs, uh, the person behind the art uh, in Eggshells Barassing in the Tokyo Dome, the book. Um and something that I don't think we've mentioned up to now, but happens to be my brother as well. Uh, so Matt Charlton is on the other end of the line.
1: I am. I'm nervous. Hello, hello. <laughs>
0: you don't do podcasts at all.
1: I I don't. I try not to speak to people at all. So yeah,
0: <laughs> nervous. Yeah. So <laughs> this is uh yeah this is un- uncharted uh territory for us. But um a lot of uh because I've been doing this you know to go behind the scenes you know i think most people listening to this are listening to it in the summer ish of 2018 i think these are set but we're recording all these uh in the spring before the uh before the book actually comes out um so i've been doing a lot of interviews about uh about the book for indieGogo because it's been crowdfunded and uh, I usually get like the standard introductory question is uh, how did you get into wrestling how did you get into Japanese wrestling um and I always say the same thing that it was because of you because you would come over um you know after you after you left home you would you would come over from time to time yeah. with just random wrestling tapes <laughs> and, you know, that's how we'd, we'd watch uh, fuck what Halloween Havoc 1990 or whatever. Um, and I, uh, you know, I spoke one of those and one of those weekends, it was the, you know, it was the standard answer book standard answer of how did you get into Japanese wrestling, but it was like the super J cup 94. Um, that that certainly stuck in my head anyway yeah. um no, but, it's, it's, uh, it's... so that's my answer to that question but it's never like you know since you're you're on a podcast for the first time i get to ask you like what was your personal introduction to to wrestling and and japanese wrestling because it's like you would have been do you remember world of sport at I, all I Like do, I, would say I,
1: I do mm. remember world of sport when it was on tv I, you know um but we used to work that match of the day or grandstand was on. And I, I do remember the wrestling vaguely, but yeah, that when that then went away. And I read your answer to the same question. I, th- I suppose my first vivid memory of being into wrestling or hyped by wrestling would be sting versus Vader on the, on the international WCW broadcast. And I think that was the time Jake, the snake appeared in WCW very briefly. And I don't know, I remember being captivated by that, and I remember taking that with me, but then there was a lull for a good, good long while until, yeah, I I left home and went to live with a group of wrestling fans, got into that, and then kind of inflicted you with it, and and, I don't know, we we grew up with that then together, and then we learned how to wrestle, and we got interested in lots of other areas of wrestling as a result of exploring the art form and, and growing and... Yeah, developing out. You know, it's it's interesting that I hear your answer to that being um, the video of, of um, the Super J Cup because I met, well, last year in Kobe, I met the great Sasuke and I told him exactly the same thing and he's such a nice guy and just, just yeah, dream come true kind of thing, so.
0: Yeah, I um, met Kushida a couple of uh, weeks ago, a couple of years ago, rather, and um, he was you know, kind of like, oh, you know, you you live here, how did you get into Japanese wrestling or whatever? And, you know, I said Super Jacob and he was like, ah, everybody says that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, yeah, sorry. But it's true. <laughs> yeah, no, <but laughs> I mean, it's it's, not just it's true, but it's no, uh, yeah.
1: I suppose, yeah, I mean, or video games. I mean, living kind of in the mm. West, you know, it's, it's N64 and then, you hear about giant gram and, and the fire pro and, and you get into it through, through video gaming as well. And there is this crossover then ex- exploring the t-
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura has been very open, that he got into wrestling because of fire pro. Uh, sort of first, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah yeah. So, um, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, all right. So today we're talking about 1993. Um, and God, I would have been, not yet 10 you would have been entering your your early teens i guess um were you i mean like yeah i think uh, you know i've talked like in the before you know, with some of that other guests. so what what was your awareness of sort of japan as a place like culturally because i think like we were all like too young a lot of these early episodes you know, sort of too young to be aware of of Japanese wrestling. Mm. Um, but you know, I I sort of had a a dim, vague awareness of it being a land where, uh, you know, console compute, you know, console games come came from, yeah. video games came from. But like that was kind of that was kind of it. But you're uh, you've got a couple of years on me. Like, were you kind of
1: aware of of Japan as a place, like culturally, or as as a place culturally? No, I think you know, we grew up in. What, in England? So I, I do remember Blue Peter did some kind of special, and and so learning how to say Konnichiwa and, and little things like that, but, but no, no, no. <laughs> not until kind of leaving and then going out into the wider world. You, you explore that for yourself, and yeah, no. Yeah, but at that age, not at all, no.
0: Yeah, so I mean, the... The weird thing about 93, this is actually the first year, looking at it, that there was only one wrestling show in the Tokyo Dome. Um, so, so far, we've, we've sort of had two or three. And um, as we get towards the end of the 90s, there's going to be a lot more shows. But um, yeah, in 1993, there was only one show. Uh, it was only a uh, New Japan show, and it was the second uh, annual January the 4th uh, 1993 show. So it's very difficult to actually find Lots of oh, what was going on in the news, like in January 1993 in Japan, because like January the fourth is is kind of the the start of the year almost really. Um, but I was uh, digging around, and, you know, I found some some trivia points. Towards the end of 1992, um, school kids started a slow transition to five day weeks. Um, before everybody was on banditry, six day weeks, and then it it became five days, but still. Um, You know, school kids in japan go and do like you're supposed to do clubs and baseball and all this this other shit you're expected to to go to school quite often on a saturday um but uh now i mean we're very international to to again go peek behind the curtain i i live in japan obviously we both grew up in england i live in japan but you live in spain um (laughs) So, and you've been here once or twice, like, you know, and and one of your comments is always like, you know, there's always people in school uniform,
1: like at at the weekends. It's always, always surprising. You know, I think I've been there six, six, seven times now. And yeah, no, whenever you're around on the weekend and still Saturday, Sunday, you see people dressed off to school and yeah, it's, it's strange. It's different. Hmm.
0: Um. In the video game charts was uh, Rockman 5 and Sonic 2 and um, in 1993 in the pop charts, um, this is I mean you're gonna you're way more musically inclined than me and I'm sure like at one point, uh, we'll have Damien Abraham as as a guest on one of these episodes. I hope, and he'll be able to just point us towards um, everything that was happening in in Japanese hardcore on a particular year. <laughs> um, but uh, rounding out 1992 at the top of the charts was Miho Nakayama with uh, Sekai Juno Dariori People. <laughs> There was a blast of that that you probably just heard (laughs) that I put in post. But, um, and like, you know, because you are more musically inclined, um, like Japanese music, like, are you aware of it now? And are you aware of it like in, in the context of sort of early mid nineties, Japanese music?
1: No, (laughs) no, no, no. (laughs) um, vaguely aware of, of hip hop and, um, vaguely aware of, because there was a, I forget, damn it, I forget the name of the band, uh, Church of, uh, something. They, they supported Down when they played here a couple of years ago, um, but they, they were awesome, so I know there is a good hardcore metal scene out there, and I know there's a good hip-hop scene out there, um, but no, I mean, it, it, it's not something that, it's definitely something I'd like to explore more, um, but no, I, I don't know so much about it, and certainly not, around the time that we're talking mm. um
0: so as has become sort of customary on this uh on this here radio program um what we do with with each of these shows is uh we choose kind of uh rather than going through the entire show and looking at the background of the entire show because that's really kind of the the job of of the book you can just listen to the podcast if you want but i really I want yeah. you to go out and spend some money on the book thanks uh, so that we can both get paid um but uh you know what we're going to do rather than that is kind of sp- pick specific sort of talking points uh specific people um that either we know about or want to know more about um and matches um and go through those in particular and so because uh matt you are the erstwhile guest on, uh, on this episode. Um, I'll go to you first. And, and what, what, you, what really caught your eye uh, looking at Fantastic
1: Story 1993? Um, well, there were a couple of things actually coming from the book because I've, I've read the book and at this point, I don't think many other people have. But certainly around this time, the development and the growth of um, uh, Sasuke or Kens- Kensuke... Ken thank mm. you very much. <laughs> um, because, <laughs> no, it, it, seeing him develop through the book because you can read the the individual years as individual chapters, but if you you know just pick it up and put it back down. But if you read the whole thing, you can see how individual people grow and become more prominent and develop mm. throughout. And so his transition from being I don't know the power warrior kind of here teaming with Hawk to then later on becoming like this this big breakout. Um, singles figure, and it was a really interesting story for me. And so, I'd like to know, you know, what you thought of him here. I'd like to talk more about him here. Um, the uh, Muto Chono match is is, is phenomenal, um, and and Choshu at the top of the card, and Tenrai. So the the war kind of invasion angle, or or, or proto invasion angle, whatever it was. I mean, it, mm. it, it, really, really interesting. I mean, especially the main event. I mean, thinking about the, the wrestling itself, um, maybe came secondary to the to the story or the or the passion or the emotions involved in, in that match. And so I don't know. Interesting things to talk about.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well Rick Choshu, um some fun did you know stuff about Rick Choshu that's that's actually not in the book. So this is uh, something uh, unique just for just for this podcast. But um, yeah, lots of lots of fun facts about Rikoshu. Um do you know Rick obviously like signature black tights and, and white boots. Um do you know why he wears white boots? I do not know why he wears white boots. Rikoshu wears white boots because has always worn white boots because he thinks it makes his legs look longer than they are and he's very self conscious about his short legs. It's really um, weird, <laughs> that's really not- Which is uh, well, it's funny because, like you know, uh, Riki Joshu's entrance music, very famous, um, Power Hall, is the most, probably one of the most, I sort of iconic uh, Japanese entrance entrance themes. Um, for the benefit of you that are scratching your heads, here's a bit now. And uh, yeah, there, there was famously knowing this, uh, Shinya Hashimoto, who is who is a bit of a wag, um, composed his own lyrics to Power Hall um, that he would uh, blast out to, to everybody nearby. But not to Choshu, who, who didn't know this until after Hashimoto died. Um, but Hashimoto's lyrics to, to Power Hall went something like, Mijikai Mijikai Mijikai, which is basically like um Ricky Choshu, his legs are really short <laughs> Ricky Choshu his arms are really short Rikichoshu, Choshu everything of his is short <laughs> Sorry. that's uh, that's one sort of, <laughs> one of my favorite. Uh, did you know things bits of trivia about ricky joshu also like um power hall which is still like it's kind of whenever there's a, a generic sort of catch-all thing about pro wrestling on the tv they, they play power hall because it's like uh, you know it's, it's such a an iconic theme and and so intangibly linked uh to pro wrestling but it was uh composed by a guy called uh susumu uh Hidasawa, who's kind of uh i guess like a, a uh, you know, I mean, this is just going. Out. I'm not at all, as I said, musically inclined. So I'm looking at Wikipedia for him for a lot of this stuff. Um, but kind of a, a post-punk, um, electro-pop, like new-age kind of uh, musician and a composer. Um, and uh, he didn't like wrestling and had never seen wrestling um, when he was told told to compose a theme for a pro wrestler. Um, and he just, uh, you know, he's, he's quite the same. Uh, don't really know i just sort of imagined what it would be like like people fighting and then composed a piece around that um and it became one of the most famous pieces of of wrestling music uh certainly in japan anyway well there you go (laughs) is there anybody like um Yo, know, from from your own sort of musical standpoint, like in general, like I mean, now a lot of certainly the, everything that comes out of WWE musically is is painfully generic. Like they always seem like the the same entrance theme. But like, is there is there anything like the 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 differences between Japanese wrestling music and and Western wrestling music? Is that something that ever sort of catches your
1: ear? No, it's yeah, that's definitely interesting. I mean, um, uh. But the, I don't know. It's difficult to articulate. I mean, now everything is yeah, so generic in terms of what people would come out to, um, in 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 the West, or at least it it was. I mean, it, it's interesting now. Culture is so uh, diverse and so everybody's into so many different things. But there's still the perception of what a wrestler should be, and so your your music should embody that specific. Hmm thing and so in the west that tends to mean whatever generic fucking uh rap rock outfit but there seems to be um a little bit more flexibility your your music doesn't necessarily have to fit your character in in japanese wrestling you can just come out and this is your music whether it's because you like it or uh, i I don't know yeah there, there is a difference there is a distinct difference i think
0: I always think, like, certainly in the 90s, wrestling music was, like, one of two things. Because it was... um, I don't know who was in charge of it in New Japan at at the time. I can't remember his name. But it was either very sort of... um, You know, I I get, like, mid-90s Sega vibes from everything. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it it was that kind of... um, I guess, sort of, like, Japanese hair rock with, like, synth stuff in it. Or um it was you know outright rip-offs of um you know some sort of like german or, or swedish you know metal stuff um which is you know it's it's kind of uncanny because uh you know i know like chono's uh you know chono's fam- famous theme was was sort of taken off uh one sort of uh band i can't remember the band's name in the end but the songs called martial arts um, and they sort of extended a version and gave it to New Japan. Um but like Yuji Nagata's theme is straight off a, a ripoff of like this this um you know this this metal band. Um and uh, yeah someone sent me a link to to the song once and it's just it is literally identical. Um and I think like that's part of the issues why you know it took so long to be to be you know available on streams on new Japan World because like it it was always you know a dodgy copyright issue right. uh in the 90s people weren't looking at it quite as closely as, as they do now mm-hmm. I suppose um but uh yeah also another uh fun fact about Riki choshu uh is that he was in a 1980s uh Nintendo Famicom uh video game that nobody would think of. Um and uh, you know I said this on Twitter because like there's was something that yeah. wasn't on the on the Wikipedia page, so I did my own bit of Wikipedia evangelism. But like the the game is called the Adventures of Dino Ricky. Um which is kinda it's it's a pretty shit game, uh, really. It's it's a shitty shoot 'em up. Um, but the Ricky in Adventures of Dino Ricky is because like in the Japanese version of the game, which I think was, uh, something Genjin because like you're playing as a, as a caveman, through it. um, you know, the, the, it was endorsed by Ricky Choshu and there's a fantastic commercial of like Ricky Choshu playing this, this game, uh, why he was endorsing this game where you were playing as like a flying caveman shooting things. I don't know but you could collect a power-up in it and transform into Ricky Choshu and do Ricky Lariats all over the screen. Um, <laughs> yeah, really amazing. But, uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, anyway, I mean, like, that um, That match was, I, I think it was, you know, I. it was kind of like the, you heard the fans go sort of up and down with that, yeah. where, you know, there was a lot of sort of, the, the early sort of locking horns and back and forth and that kind of shit, but but what they really reacted to, what they really sort of came alive for, was when they started laying their shit no, in. but, but that, you know, that's clearly what they wanted to, see, you know.
1: But it it got relatively convincingly nasty very early on, and like they, yeah, they clearly or Choshu clearly doesn't like Tenryu at all, or or either that or is just. Having the performance of his life, but yet it really lays into him, and it, and it happens very early on that they break into slaps and chops, and it, it's nasty, you know. And um, uh, Tenreo gets busted open hard ways, nasty headbutts, and yeah, and the mm-hmm. crowd reacts to that, reacts to the, the visceral realness of, of what's happening in in the ring, and it, it's because yeah, again, I mean, technically it's far from a masterpiece, but the 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 emotion in the ring is I, I don't know it's, it's palpable. It's it's something that, that you can definitely sense from from the crowd, from the performers, and um...
0: right. And they did such a good job, I think, like building it up. You know, in a way where it was. I mean, what came from this was that it was there was a few sort of New Japan vs War uh, matches on this card, and it was a case of. Um, Tenu started war um, sort of in the shadows of, of SWS, you know, after that fell apart um, through 1992 and they, they really weren't doing that well Um, and they were having a hard time sort of selling tickets. But I mean, Tenu and Choshu had a relationship that went back to the mid 1980s um, when Choshu made the jump to to all Japan or when Choshu quit New Japan anyway. um, for that period. So it was a case of like Choshu, you know, Choshu having the book now in New Japan and, and really sort of doing Tenryu a solid, lending New Japan talent to war shows mm-hmm. to sort of elevate that promotion. And then that leading to to this card, basically. Um, and so because there was this time apart with Tenryu going to SWS, uh, Choshu going back to, to New Japan, um, although, you know, I mean, it wasn't. That long, you know. I mean, they they wrestled in sort of 1987, so like six years before. Um, yeah, eight six eight seven. Like, it, there was a good sort of six six year odd odd gap. Um, but enough time and tenure with this status as an outsider where that hadn't kind of been hadn't quite been done to death mm. at this point, you know. And you had like the announcer, like the the ring announcer, right before this starts. You know, that he was calling oh, you know, this is the first time that they've locked up in six years and four months a home. And then he's, he like, it just milks it for everything and going now on January the 4th, 1993, and even like mentions the times like January the 4th, 1993 at 7.01 PM, the time is here, you know? And, and so it was, it was very, definitely uh very hyped up, but um yeah, I mean, like not technical. It didn't, didn't really need to be there was no. one like cool moment in this where um uh god ten like choshu catches like tenu comes in with a lariat yeah. and choshu catches him with this really cool sort of flash cradle like yeah. inside cradle yep, yep, thing yep. and it's like oh that would look really sweet and obviously it was designed as a huge false finish yeah but they just rolled into the ropes you know he ran out
1: of space and so they got it broken up it's like oh you no, know. that's it i mean there's lots of sloppiness or, or the um, the bit where at the beginning uh, Choshu goes in for the lariat, Tenryu gets, at, I keep pronouncing it wrong, it's Tenyu, no? Tenryu. Ten, yeah. Tenryu, there you go. But he, he rolls out the way or tries to get out the way and ends up with Choshu punching him square in the face. Yeah, right. Mm. And the, I mean, the finish itself, I don't know whether that was a... It, he couldn't get Choshu up or he had to go for the spot again, but the the finish feels... Flat. I mean, the power bomb at the end feels flat. It doesn't feel like how it should have been. But the crowd reacts appropriately each time. I mean, there's the tease for the power bomb, and the crowd are going nuts. Kind of half gets him up, drops him, and then goes for it again, and and does it you know as as it should be done. But but yeah, I don't know the sloppiness which detracts from me because I'm watching it removed from. You know, I, I don't have a horse in this race. I, <laughs> you know, I'm watching it to be entertained mm-hmm. by the wrestling side of things, and and the crowd for me make it, and also just the viciousness of of Choshu's lariats and um and, and Tenyu's facial expressions as well. I mean, they're both clearly past their prime, but you can see what made them who they who they were. The fact that Tenyu in in ring is is just this very likable person you can empathise with him you know the suffering that he's going through and he i don't know yeah impressed by it but not for the wrestling itself
0: right yeah and, and if anything like tenu a guy who is obviously like past his physical peak you know his guy in the, in his you know in his 40s at this point uh even though he was you know he was in the, the royal rumble in 93 and uh of course he introduced us that that fine young man <laughs> by Guerrilla Matsun saying that that hot young talent, Tenry, you know, in his 40s, along with sort of Carlos Cologne, like getting up towards 50, whatever, you know, young man, Carlos Cologne. But, um, yeah, you know, but I think he, you know, Tenry would, would really, you know, to, to a lot of fans, sort of find his peak in his 50s, you know, um so he you know he had uh such a, a mind for the the other side of it and like knowing that you don't necessarily have to be physically flexible if you can be very sort of uh you know it, it doesn't have to be graceful if it's physical you know mm. what i mean yeah and um and i think it's it is quite interesting because like Tenyu really sort of had left all japan had birthed like king's road style um order in in all japan as as sort of a consequence of of him leaving uh that company and so like here's this point where what they would always say was all japan is very defensive and new japan is very offensive um is the sort of general you know that's kind of a way of saying it but like the the idea that new japan is about uh offense and about trying to present more of a fight whereas mm. all japan was more a narrative and showing um not vulnerability but like you know mm. almost the opposite of that of, of persisting through now um whereas like new japan was a very sort of go 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 style and i think like that shows itself in in this match i, th- I think could
1: like I, uh very well could i take that as a link to talk about hawk not
0: selling anything God yeah this was the, the well yeah I think I used the the line in the book this was the battle of who could sell less and like it was yeah it was really very, funny very, very I mean awful. just um, nothing
1: <laughs> any just funny <laughs> no, so early on, just like the pile driver, he goes yep yeah, just, <laughs> just just <laughs> for back. the thing is it, it it makes him because the crowd fucking love it oh yeah and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I I I feel bad cuz again Sasuke's there to get to do the selling for everybody. Well, really. one,
0: yeah, one of these, one of these things is is not like the other, and like in this <laughs> case, Saki is, it's not like the other three in this match. Um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, your take home, your take home is is or your hawk. Like, my my big take home from this match is uh, fucking Sesame Street Steiner's with like the numbers. Oh yeah.
1: Oh, also, this I, this, I was going to ask you about the numbers. Whether there was any significance to the numbers. <laughs> no, I really no, don't but, know. I didn't but, think so. Yeah. But just watching them as a young tech team, I mean, the Steiners are, are incredible. I mean, Scott at the beginning, really, mm. they can move and the sue play. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's just a fireworks display. I mean, really entertaining match. I mean, just um, nothing botched, nothing right. It's just no selling, nothing.
0: Yeah, well, they were... So, the Hellraisers had been together for sort of a few months at this point, you know, because uh, Animal was hurt. Sort of Hawk recruited Sasaki as, like, do you want to do this? Like, Sasaki really wasn't sure. And they sort of did a a couple of matches uh, on Indies in in the States before doing it, you know, realizing they could do it uh, in New Japan. So, they'd been together for a few months and, like, their big... The big deal going into this match was the, the Hellraisers um hadn't had a tag match longer than four minutes fifty five seconds. So like that their whole thing was that they just had squash matches mm. like the whole time. And then so uh here's you know here are the Steiners um to come in. And so yeah it it, it yeah it it was kind of like a, a bit of a confusing finish because I think like Tiger Dory misses his cue at one point because the whole deal is that uh, who's legal at the end? Um, like like Scott, Hawk and Scott and Scott or um, Scott and Hawk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like there was, there was, they sort of change, but um, yeah, you know, but the referee, the, the referee sees that they're not changed. And that's kind of part of the finish. Is that you know Sasaki oh, no, yeah, and no like, Scott Rick and Sasaki.
1: Or legal, but Hulk yeah, gets there's bits, yeah, yeah, there's yeah.
0: the bit where, where Scott hits a Frankensteiner to Sasaki and then, like, Tiger Tori counts to two, where he shouldn't have done. So that, like, really throws the finish into, yeah. you know, it's kind of a bit of a head-scratcher. Um But, yeah, it was it was the battle of who could sell less and then nobody really won it anyway because they went to a count-out. Yeah. Um, but, uh well it wasn't it wasn't a tie was it was it was it a double count out
1: who won I can't that, no I mean that that was unclear I thought it was because um Scott just couldn't continue on the outside or Scott couldn't get back in I thought it was a count out on Scott's part because yeah 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 right. yeah I mean just fucking doomsday just device into right the, the guard. to the outside the guard, yeah. into the guardrail yeah. no it's just yeah it was brutal a really yeah, brutal yeah, finish yeah, yeah. but yeah. um again I mean contrasting again with the uh, muto chona matching which is just beautiful to watch
0: that is um so this makes up if if you have uh read the book then you'll know this sort of makes up the 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 sort of I guess the the cover image like each sort of year in the book is is broken up with two page art spreads um and so this uh you know for for this spread like uh, you know, we chose to do uh, the sort of very famous by now long Keiji Muto run up on the ramp to Larry at somebody and like, you know, this was the first time they, they'd done it. And you have um, just from, a, I mean, this was an indication of, of how good New Japan production was, I think uh, at this point over and above any, any other promotion, you know, I mean, really now everybody talks about how good New Japan's production is but uh you know i think like here you see how good new japan's production or how good tv production is at this point because you you have just like that iconic shot that that i love and that you captured so well that it's actually you know the backdrop of the uh of the eggshellsbook.com like the 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 homepage page for that it's site one of the where print- you have that, that long
1: yeah
0: that big long ramp spot that big wide shot and like muto's backing up you know um and then him charging down the aisle at, at Chono, it's it's such an iconic it's a simple thing <laughs> it's only a lariat but it's such an iconic uh sort of set of set of shots but um i mean since that is the sort of the the spread for that year like um was was that a sort of challenging picture to do or
1: yeah <laughs> i mean no that the picture in itself the the long shot no um, but it was it was more the follow up shots of trying to capture the motion of of getting him to to lethering Jono. I mean, just that trying to convey the the journey from one to the other because the still still frame is nice and easy, but but wrestling isn't still frames. Wrestling is is movement, so that that was yeah that was difficult to do. But um, I don't know, as a comic book as a comic strip, you you get there as a, as a sequence of events. You know, you get there. And yeah, no, particularly happy with the with the long shot, and and like I said, I mean that was one of the the prints which we sent out to to the backers, and um, yeah, particularly proud of that picture. So yeah, happy. Yeah, I mean, like this was, I I think it's it's
0: really one of the first times you you had like people get really creative with wrestlers get really creative with the environment. Yeah. With something being very different. There
1: were spots Um, on the outside. mm -hmm. It wasn't just, it wasn't just the Larry. You had the the cartwheel elbow on the outside as well, which, which missed, but Mm. yeah, I mean, the the ramp played a big, a big part. I think, I mean, a lot of the reaction they got every time they stepped out onto the ramp, whatever they did, the ring was, was significant. And that's it. I mean, it wasn't gratuitous. Everything in this match, Had a purpose, had a meaning, and it it just—it's head and shoulders above everything else on the card, and it's a great match, really, really good match.
0: Yeah, really, kind of um, sort of odd as well that you did have like this this double title match. You know, uh, Chono was NWA champion at at this point, um, and Muto with the IWGP, Mm -hmm. and like it was unified. so a big title unification and double title match, we, you know, should have been like main event, main event level, but it was good, sort of fairly far down, sort of three, four matches down um, in the card at, at the end, you know. And obviously, like tenyu and Chono, uh, tenure and Choshu, like you know, that says how sort of special that uh, mm-hmm. set of circumstances was. Um, but really, it it does, uh, you know, I kind of think it it speaks a little bit to where you have. Uh, Chono, Muto, like later in the year, of course, it here's like Hashimoto, like starting his his run in earnest, earnest. Um, but there is this little bit of like, okay, these are clearly the guys, but they're not quite, yeah, uh, like the Capital G guys at this point. You know, even though they they have the belts, they're not like the, yeah, uh, you know, they're not
1: Shuyak. And you can see that, kind of particularly with with Chono, who hasn't quite found the thing that will make him. Who we remember him for, you know, the, the yeah, kind of black cat, black clad mm. old guy. But but Muto is, you know, everything about his character, every little movement of his fingers, of his eyes. I mean, everything is just mm. next level stuff. I mean, and the, yeah, I mean, they're, they're clearly the guys for the nineties, and we're still coming out of the eighties. We're we're just moving on and and clearing up i guess just tidying up loose ends and the personalities hanging on it's the same in the us at this time as well you know there, there's a period of transition and people are, are just about to come and, and step up and and take that main event uh, main event um, spot but and the way the crowd are reacting i mean they clearly yeah should be main eventers at this point
0: yeah but i mean it's it's obviously like the the sort of gatekeeper at this point you know in a, in a very real sense cuz you know he was in charge of, you know he was running the show effectively mm. you know choshu at the, at the top but um you know and with choshu at the top and then like you have muto and chono sort of coming up and like right just at this point this is such like a critical sort of turning turning point in the way in where it's a change of um it's a changing of the guard just in in general, it's like a seismic shift mm-hmm. in in wrestling because you know Keijimuto and uh and, and chono um and Hashimoto you know they're they're really sort of the, the three the three musketeers are the three standard bearers of um you know what people would call heyse wrestling so like in Japan like you know i we might mentioned this on a different episode before now, but like whereas in the west you know it, it's kind of like you know, millennials are the thing to talk about. Um, In Japan from pro wrestling sense, you have, uh, you have Heisei pro wrestling and you have Showa pro wrestling, because those are the two different uh, emperors. Right. And um, so Showa abdicated or Showa died like end of 1989. And then, so really going into the nineties, here's like the Heisei era. Um, And, tenyu and a cho and a Choshu were like the embodiment of um, of showa pro wrestling, which is to say, like they weren't necessarily in love with the idea of pro wrestling. You know, they were. You know, they they went into sumo first. You know, Tenshu said, people went to to sumo, couldn't do sumo, and got you know got cut from that, went from that into the pro wrestling world, and so you have all of these what sort of characterizes Showa wrestling is a lot of people that were perhaps other sports stars that got an injury. Mm. You know, there were by Giant Baba who got hurt, couldn't play baseball anymore. Mm. You know, there was even Inoki who was a track star and then he got scouted, you know, was a tremendous pro wrestling mind, but didn't necessarily love pro wrestling. And so there's this thought that Showa pro wrestling is driven by a lot of anger, um in a sense like resentment in a in a way you know and, and obviously um as these wrestlers became very successful they they you know a lot of them i'm sure fell in love with it mm. but there they was still like this lingering
1: okay. kind
0: of anger and determination that drove what they did
1: that's that, um, again thinking about the book mm. that's something that keeps on coming out you know inoki you know saying but we we fight with our anger we use our anger and it's interesting to think that, that that's a sort of resentment towards the the art form or the art side of the art form it's, it's interesting to think of that as a motivating factor behind the performance behind what you're doing Just this self-loathing and you take it out on the other guy oh it's it's interesting mm. I mean, really interesting
0: and you know i mean then on on the flip side of that you you have like muto and chono hashimoto like liger as well like people that were growing up watching mm. her wrestling watching these people that didn't necessarily enjoy what they were doing for a living and going and, and falling in love with that and then wanting to do that mm. so here's this thing where they you know they actually have more perhaps more of a passion for pro wrestling in and of itself but uh, you know in a way is this you know does it become a kind of photocopy of a photocopy in a way you know what are they taking from different sort of sections obviously you know and like this disconnect between Muto and uh, Inoki that went until Muto left where like Inoki really saw uh, Keiji Muto as like the embodiment of a guy that uh, that's sort of Americanizing and effectively ruining
1: his vision of progress but then that's it I mean it's not it's not a photocopy of a photo. I mean, if, if it was a photocopy, that would suggest you're trying to do the the same thing. You're not bringing anything of your yourself. And the thing that makes Muto stand out is what he brings of himself. He's not trying to be anybody else. Mm-hmm. He's trying to do what he mm-hmm. can within the medium, whilst whilst being very much himself. He's playing a completely different song to yeah, yeah. To, to the older generation. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, no. Everything in this match. I mean, from the, the just from the technical standpoint. I mean, the the pure wrestling, the the nice transitions, I mean, the arm bars, the leg work. Um, like one of the things um, that I remembered or I, I picked up on every time. Well, the because Chono goes for the SDF twice here, and he only started crossing the legs later in his career before he started locking in the SDF, and I, I remember this. Mm-hmm. Reading, God knows, it was like a Pro Wrestling Illustrated, maybe in the tail end of the 90s. They used to have a page where they focused on um, a particular move by a particular guy and they'd write a little bit about how he started doing it. It was um, STF. It was uh, Chono's cross leg STF. And mm-hmm. the reason why he started crossing the legs was because if he left one leg out, it made it easier for the other guy to crawl to the ropes. So every time he locked mm-hmm. it in, I was like, nope, nope, he's not gonna get the tap out. Muto's gonna get to the ropes and you know he did every time. So it was Yeah, that no, was a cool thing to remember. It's, um mm. but I uh, know this is the week that what Muto hit his his final so no?
0: This is as we're recording this. Yeah, Muto. Yeah, we're. we're final in so we're, a pro wrestling we're recording set. it. Yeah, we're, we're recording this episode at the end of March 2018. So, yeah, he had his, his final moonsault. Actually, last week as Keiji Muto, and then he did it again at the DDT, at the DDT yeah. show as the, as the great mooter. So like the, the defense is that it's the great mooter's last moonsault. But uh, yeah, it coined, they coined this phase on, on Japanese Twitter, which was like moonsault retirement fraud. You <laughs> like you can, uh, you even hold to a retirement stipulation for a fucking move, you know, but yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, like it's, it's fantastic. You know, I mean, like the, the form he had on that, mm. you know, up to uh, yeah up to the end like it's a tremendous like gorgeous uh photography of that especially the the rest one show like the last uh, the last moonsault he did there um it's, uh,
1: yeah the the
0: difference between a moonsault and a rounding body press Matt. do you know that
1: well yeah you're not going to turn around and look at the guy in the eye a rounding body press would be that you're you're your turning your body right no, because like, I, well, it,
0: some I had this conversation on Twitter, but like a lot of people call Muto's like a rounding body press, and like when Sonata does it, it's a rounding rounding body press. So I like I always take it to mean that a moonsault has a has a jump to it, really. And like a rounding body press is like the the sort of you're you're more sort of going going back, like Sonata does it, or like um you know like Lita does it, and he really lands on the neck, you know. Well, um,
1: no, but like um. Really, I just thought Moon Salt was so. flinging yourself backwards off after doing, doing that that backflip. Uh, but um, don't
0: don't, um, don't bother sending replies to that. <laughs> I'm just... We don't. Care. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, that I mean that was 1993. Like fantastic story in Tokyo Dome. We certainly told some fantastic stories in the Tokyo Dome.
1: I'm
0: um, actually, this was. Uh, this was the first um, Tokyo Dome show, Tokyo Dome New Japan show to to birth video games. Was like, of course, Wrestle Kingdom came from uh, a video game. There was like, there were video games based on the next few Tokyo Dome shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a Super Nintendo, uh, Fantastic Story game, and then uh, next year would be Battlefield, I think, in Tokyo, and then after that, Battle Seven um and uh they're all really bad um (laughs) especially the first one yeah uh (laughs) but uh yeah that that was uh 1993 um thanks for thanks for coming on matt and um without uh sort of being too time sensitive with our plugs because a lot of people might be hearing this far off in the future Mm. um but where can people
1: sort of see your stuff and, and what you do um they can follow me on Twitter, which is uh, Shining Wizard DS, uh, Instagram, Shiny Wizard Designs. So they can buy shirts and mugs and and bags uh, on Redbubble, which is Shining Wizard DZ, which I've started um, just as a way of uh, generally feeding Chris Wolfe, uh, just everything I'd get from there, which isn't much because Redbubble will take most, but everything I get from there, I'd split 50-50 with um, whoever appears on the image. Um, yeah, thank you so much to everybody. Everybody is always so nice towards my pictures and, um, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on here.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been fun. I'm sure like, um, you'll be on another episode before this, this journey is done. Um, speaking of this journey, next episode, episode six, we'll be looking at 1994, which, uh, includes another big tenure match because like part of the the tenure. Uh, Cho, uh Choshu match here was that it set up Antonio and Okie getting in the ring and and effectively tenu- challenging Tenryu to a match one year later. Um, so there was there was that match. Also, like the very influential All Japan Women's Card mm. um, was in nineteen ninety four. Um, so looking at that, as far as I know right now, I'm going to be joined, um, by, uh, Canadian wrestling author, Pat LaPrade is, is going to be joining me. And, uh, we might have another couple of, uh, extra special guests in there as well. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but, uh, I'm sure you will, you will know listening at home listeners, uh, very, very soon. Um, in the meantime, do head over to eggshellsbook.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter at ReasonJP. And uh, if you're listening to this in the summer of 2018, then it's very, very likely that Shell's Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome is out right now um, in digital form, in paperback form, in audiobook form soon. Um, please go wherever you can buy books on the internet and uh, you'll be able to get that. And uh, thanks for listening.